What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three guys that love three-hour-plus movies with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm excited to return to Van Doren and talk about my favorite film character of all time, Jake Sully. I'm Keith Baker, and I used my hair tentacle to join with Tim Allen's Santa Claus. And I'm Austin Terry, and James Cameron did it. He finally gave us Titanic 2. On today's show, of course, we're discussing the long-awaited sequel to Avatar from James Cameron himself with Avatar The Way of Water. But before we get to that, I do earnestly want to know, how long do you guys think you could hold your breath underwater? Because apparently, Kate Winslet actually broke a record on set by doing seven minutes for this movie. And I kind of feel like if the three of us were like remotely even around and we had to do that as well, we just would have ended up being corpses floating in the water. It might depend on the situation. Like, if I think if I'm casually holding my breath. Yeah, see, I, th- I feel like if I'm relaxing, I could hold my breath a lot longer. Well, that's the thing, right? If you're not moving, then you can, like, stand there longer. But the more movement. Yeah, the more your heart's racing, the faster you're breathing. And it's game over. Yeah, like, if, if George Lucas is chasing me down telling me how great Tatooine is, I'm staying down there for eight minutes. There's no way I'm coming up to have that conversation. Hey, Austin. Uh, Tatooine. <laughs> Austin, come back. <laughs> That's all he says. Tatooine, Austin. <laughs> That's how every, every pitch starts. So we open on Tatooine, and then I just jump in the pool. Well, George Lucas is one thing, but we're not talking about old Georgie boy today. We're talking about our sweet man, James E. Cameron. Jimmy C., as we might call him. Uh, It's time to talk about Avatar as our main topic for today's show, guys. And this is an interesting one. I I feel like not a lot of people talk about this. The fact that Avatar, right, comes out in 2009 and it ends up grossing... $2.9 billion, and it is the highest grossing movie of all time. And the fact that a sequel took 13 years to come out is kind of interesting. Because, like, you would think it would have just taken a couple years. You know, they could have just used the same tech and, like, you know, pushed out with a similar looking vibe, like a a slightly different story and, like, the same characters. And they could have made another $2 billion. And that a studio was willing to wait that long. Yeah, definitely. I just think if you look at James Cameron's kind of resume, he's not content to do the easy thing or the easy thing to make money. He wants to push the envelope. He famously, like, I think he pitched Avatar originally in 1994, and he ended up waiting until 2009 because he wanted the tech to catch up to a point where he could make it. Uh, I think the same thing happened here with The Way of Water. So whether you love James Cameron or hate him, I think he's pretty fucking hilarious if you read his like quotes talking about like people seeing his movies i i I think it's hysterical and he's a legend obviously but um it's just very interesting to think about like i mean think about the mcu right there's been like 30 or 40 of those projects in this like since 2008 and there's some great ones in there and there's some bad ones and there's some mixed bag and James Cameron, in like the exact same amount of time, has made two now. And he's like, I'm going for a certain specific thing. So it's very interesting to talk about Avatar. I mean, it's the highest grossing movie of all time, but it doesn't even have the best reputation. It's like, it looks great, but I don't like the story. So whatever the sequel was coming out, and he's like, I'm making so many of these sequels. It's like, okay, is the story going to be better? What is he going for? Just visuals again? So it's It's been a wild ride hearing about like the production of the Avatar movies, so I, I don't even really know your guys' thoughts on them all that much. I'm really excited to get into this. It's going to be a weird one. <laughs> so I guess without further ado, let's do it and see what happens. Uh, Austin and Keith, let everyone know your thoughts on the highest grossing movie of all time, Avatar, as well as your expectations for and non-spoiler thoughts on the sequel, Avatar The Way of Water. Yeah, I think with the first Avatar... I don't know if I have a ton to say on it that hasn't been said already. Uh, Obviously, I think it looks great. It looked incredible at the time. Uh, The story never stuck with me. Uh, What what stuck with me for that movie was the visuals. I was never particularly excited, I would say, for the continuation of this franchise. Um, I mean, overall, I think it gets unfairly kind of canned. Like, it's not a horrible movie. Just I think the story doesn't live up to what the visuals do in that movie. Um, So going into the sequel... I honestly was not excited about this. I've I've talked about this that when we made our schedule for the year, this is my least anticipated episode. Um, 
I gotta say, I, I pleasantly was surprised with this film. I had a good time in theaters. I, I do think it's way too long. There's no reason this movie should be three hours. They don't justify that runtime. Visually, it's stunning. It's incredible. The highest compliment I can give is this movie should be seen in theaters, because I think it looks incredible. Matt, you mentioned the MCU. They wish their movies looked this good. I do think when you actually get beneath the surface of the visuals, the way the story flows, I think it does flow better than the first movie, but I do think there are a lot of predictable plot beats. Like As soon as you get into the main core plot of this movie, you kind of know exactly where it's headed. There's not a ton of surprises in it. Uh, What does surprise you, though, is the spectacle that's playing out on screen. Um, So I don't know if I'm super high on the movie. I think it should be seen in theaters. I think the performances are good. I think it's worth going out and sitting through the runtime. Beyond that, I think it still has story issues just like the first one did, but it did surprise me with how much I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to headed into the theaters. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too far off from you, Austin. Um, yeah, going into the first one, like you said, Austin, the visuals are, are awesome and stunning, um, but the story really wasn't there for me. And the acting was just, it was okay. It was decent, nothing, nothing spectacular. But yeah, that movie was definitely, definitely more of a grab for uh, just the uh, the scenery and the way it and where it took place and all that. Um, then going into this one, I I really didn't even know they were making a sequel until you guys told me we were going to be covering this in the podcast. I didn't read anything about it or hear anything about it. It was fun just to jump into it last night in theaters. And like you said, yeah, I mean this is definitely a movie you want to see in theaters. Like really, really cool visuals. Probably one of the most uh, yeah visually like pleasing movies I've seen in a long time. Really cool stuff um, as far as like the water and the flying and just the way the planet looks as a whole. I don't remember, you know, getting as much of that in the first one, even though the first one did look very good. Um, and then going back to the first one, though, too, the story just wasn't wasn't quite there for me again. It, I, I, the action is fun um, I, and, I, I, and, I, and I respect all the characters, but just the way the story kind of flows and the way it's written didn't really work for me all too well, but maybe, maybe since they got three more movies coming, maybe they'll improve things and maybe make it go in a different direction. So who knows? Um, but overall, highly entertaining. Definitely. I would recommend it for sure to go see it. Runtime is it a little long, but it was definitely a lot easier to sit in a three hour movie that had the visuals like this and the action in it that was going on the whole time, more so than a three hour movie that's slow and, and kind of dull. So uh, overall, I would recommend it. Yeah, this has been a, a wild journey. I remember, I think in like 2014 or something, James Cameron announced that they started shooting Avatar 2. So they started shooting all these sequels like almost 10 years ago. And here we are finally getting it released with all the special effects in place. Like it's crazy how long just the process has been. And like through that, you hear about it along the way. So I feel like I've heard about Avatar 2, 3, 4, and like 12 for years and it's kind of it gets to the point like like the Zack Snyder uh like I like the Snyder cut a lot but like those people that keep talking about it, it's just like oh my god you're ruining it just shut the fuck up that's how I felt about the Avatar sequels it's like please I don't want to hear about it anymore um so I was dreading this episode as well uh because I was telling Keith I think I've seen the first Avatar four times and it was all in theaters in 2009 you went to theaters four times to see well, Avatar 1 I'll explain. I'll explain if you if you'll let me, my dear friend. <laughs> You're a crazy th- person. <laughs> well, shut the. I'll tell you why. <laughs> I think I saw it with you guys, and then I had another group of friends that wanted to go see it, so I saw it with them, and then I was done. I was like, okay, I saw it twice. That was more than enough. I'm I'm good. But then my parents, of all people, were like, who don't go see movies in theaters very often, like we should go see Avatar, and I was like, okay, I I, I guess so. So I got dragged along and I saw it with them. And then the thing that broke me was on a band trip uh, for one of our finals performances, uh, one of the group activities they made us do was go see Avatar. <laughs> so I was like, I cannot watch this anymore. I, I, I wish I, I can't go to Pandora again. Um, and I have not seen it since then. So it has been I've seen the movie four times or whatever, but it's been 13 years since. And I watched it two nights ago. I'll tell you what, man, that first Avatar movie kind of rocks. <laughs> I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is pretty good. Like, yeah, it's a super familiar story. It's Pocahontas with blue people. Yeah. But that familiar story, I think, is told very well. And the visuals, man, oh my God, they hold up so well. Like, that movie still looks incredible. 
And so after watching it, I kind of got a bit amped. I was like, okay, I'm excited to see the sequel. And ultimately, I, I think I feel pretty similar to you guys. I I, I can recommend it in the sense, if you're going to see this movie, you got to go see it in theaters. And I imagine most people will. It's the most beautiful looking movie I've ever seen. I think James Cannon and the team deserve a lot of props because they pushed the filmmaking like process and art form forward in 2009 with the first Avatar. And they made a sequel and they did it again. This movie is going to revolutionize the way movies look. And that's really cool. I'm excited about that. I think it's going to revolutionize the way video games look, too, because a lot of yeah. parts of this movie feel like a video game. Like yeah. sometimes it feels like you're just in a video game cutscene. I felt I felt that, mm. too. And sometimes that was a good thing and sometimes that was a bad thing. But I hear what you're saying. Um, it's unfortunate that it has the same issues as the, as the first one, though, in the sense that I don't really care too much about the story and I don't care too much about the characters. And I was surprised on my revisit to the first Avatar movie. I actually did kind of care about Jake Sully and Terry and kind of that crew. And uh, the story, while familiar, I thought, like I said, I thought it was like a good retelling of it. So I I did get attached to it. This sequel um, is very ambitious and it takes a lot of um, a lot of big swings. And unfortunately for me, I don't think a lot of them hit without spoiling anything or like specific characters until we get to that later. I unfortunately just didn't really connect super well to the story and the characters would be my biggest complaint. They give a lot of our like familiar characters, they put them on the sideline and I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then a lot of the new characters I loved and then some of them I just really just felt like I didn't get to know very much at all. So by the end, I was like, okay, like they tried to have like a bunch of these emotional moments and they didn't really hit. So I guess in a weird way, my review for the sequel to Avatar would be it's visually breathtaking, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen on film uh, in that sense, like like in terms of like visual effects. But I still didn't care too much about the story or the characters, Um, but I am curious to watch it again and I am curious to see where this franchise goes. So I definitely recommend it, but I do have a lot of questions, I guess I would say. Overall, good time in the theater, though, for sure. I think actually hearing both of your thoughts, I actually might be the highest of the three of us on this movie because um, I agree with you, Matt. They put the main characters on the sidelines um, in favor of, of the new kids for the movie. And I actually was really attached to the kids, like way more than I've ever been to Jake Sully and the Terry. Um, I thought the kids were great in this movie. And I think when the parents kind of come back into the story by the end of the movie, because I was so attached to the kids, I actually cared a lot more about their relationship with their parents, too. The issues I have with the movie is just I saw from the very beginning where this movie was headed. So the story didn't surprise me, but I actually thought the characters are pretty strong in this one. I got to know, though, did you guys see it in 3D? Yep, we did. We did. We yeah. did. I was I was nervous at first, but I'll tell you what. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, it looked great. <laughs> I, I thought it was awesome. The 3D looked good. I still have never come to enjoy having 3D glasses on my face during right. a movie, though. Whenever they handed us glasses, I was surprised. I was like, oh, I thought this was like the standard version. But I guess that wasn't an option. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I lo- it looked amazing, but yeah. Did you see that his cut of Avatar 3 is nine hours long and he wants oh. all the visual effects to be finished before he edits it down? I did see that. And then I also saw that that was like debunked. Either way, I'm pulling for my boy, Jim. <laughs> well, you know, he's not backing down. Jim gets what Jim wants. Well, also the biggest, I mean, the thing that we have to look forward to most is I believe Vin Diesel has been cast in Avatar 3. Oh, and gosh. that's going to change. I'll tell you what, that is going to change the fucking game. <laughs> Why is he still working with actors that were like big in 2001? Like we have a whole new, we have a whole new cast of actors. Because he's only made two movies since then. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot Sam Worthington plays Jake Sully. And then when his voiceover so starts, did Sam I was like, Worthington, oh, yeah. whenever, whenever James Cameron called him, he was like, oh, fuck, yeah. I guess, yeah. I haven't done anything since then, sure. It's like Sam Worthington does exist. That's right. He's still acting. He's just been attached to Avatar for 24 years. Zoe Saldana did a bit of a step down to come back to this movie. (laughs) (laughs) She did, yeah. She talked about how she didn't really want to either, but she signed that contract. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Without further ado, uh, we're getting into uh, some spoiler territory here, which I'm really, really excited about because there is... Some really exciting stuff to talk about here and some really weird shit to talk about. And I'm excited to get your guys' thoughts. So let's go ahead and drop the official spoiler warning. So if you have not seen Avatar The Way of Water, 
Go check it out in the theaters exclusively. James Cameron won't let you watch it anyway else, and I respect the hell out of him for it. Uh, then come on back to hear the rest of our thoughts, because uh, it's going to be a good one. I guess before we transition fully, guys, it sounds like we might be like on the same page, but I want to get like final clarification. All three of us, like in terms of quality, maybe we wouldn't recommend you go see it in theaters, but in terms of like sheer spectacle, ambition, the way the movie looks and like the visuals, I mean, you have to see some theaters. Like if you, if you see it for the first time out of theaters, it's almost like, what's the point? Cause it's not going to feel the same. It's not going to look the same. So I, at least I would say you have to see it in theaters for sure. I agree. And I, I think he's well on his way to another billion dollars because I saw this on a Thursday night showing and my theater was completely sold out. And I have not seen a sold out theater since before COVID. So crazy. Oh, and everybody was clapping after every trailer, too. Oh, my so God. Was, that was fun. I was getting so annoyed. <laughs> it was so weird. <laughs> after John Wick 4 trailer, I was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Austin saying, like, has James Cameron, like, were somebody not in 2001? It was like, are we back in 2001 where people just like cheer like after trailers and like they clap it whenever the, the end credits start? I was like, what is happening? <laughs> but to be fair, it was like really interesting to walk into a theater where there was people of all ages. Uh, Avatar kind of transcends in that way. And James Cameron, his movies do so. Whatever, man. It's super interesting. So I didn't get any good trailers. I got one. And it was fucking Transformers Rise of the Beasts, which looks like dog shit. I went shit. to the bathroom during that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome to Spoiler Territory. Super excited to get into this, like we said. But as always, Austin and Keith, before we get to that, start us off with some cast and crew talk. All right, so Avatar is, of course, directed by James Cameron. This is the only franchise he wants to work on for the rest of his career. That's not a joke. That's what he said. Uh, you may know him, of course, from The Terminator, uh, T2, Aliens, True Lies, Titanic, and, of course, the first Avatar. It's written by James Cameron, Rick Jaffa, and Amanda Silver. Jaffa and Silver are known for the Planets of the Apes trilogy. And our score for the film is composed by Simon Franklin, who you may know from Titanic, Seven, The Amazing Spider-Man, and Bond. And going to our cast, we have Sam Worthington returning as Jake Sully, Zoe Saldana returning as Natiri, Stephen Lang returning as Cordich, Sigourney Weaver as Kiri, Cliff Curtis as Twenawari, Britton Dalton as Loak, Jack Champion as Spider, Jamie Flatters as Nateum, Trinity Jolie Bliss as Tuck, Bailey Bass as Rhea, Joel David Moore returning as Norm Spellman, Dilip Rao returning as Max Patel, and we got Edie Falco as General Ardmore and Kate Winslet as Ronal. All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives, what do we got? Yeah, I have a clear standout for me. Uh, that's Sigourney Weaver as Kiri. I don't think they do a good job of fitting this character into the story, but I think Sigourney Weaver gives the most emotional performance as Kiri. I was super attached to this character by the time the movie ended, and I can't wait to see how this character kind of grows in the uh, coming sequels. I have to interrupt right now. I don't know if this is like a Laurel and Yanni situation, and I'm not joking, but somehow they say this character's name a lot in this movie. And every single time I thought they were saying Kitty. So I thought this character's name was Kitty. <laughs> and then today while typing out the casting crew, I was like, Kiri. Okay. <laughs> so, so there you go. There's a fun fact. I thought the, the entire movie, I thought every single person was saying Kitty. I was also super surprised to find Sigourney Weaver like playing a child because I obviously she plays the scientist from the first movie, but I was super surprised to learn she played this character because she was fantastic. I, she's the character I was the most emotionally invested in for this entire movie. It's a great performance. I don't think the voice modulation was very good because she's supposed to be like under 13 years old. So in that sense, it's kind of weird because she sounds like she's in her early 20s. But See, I, I didn't get that at all. I love the character. I thought it was a child actor. I didn't even know. Yeah, I didn't even know it was a Grinnell Weaver until now. Yeah, I couldn't buy into it. Uh, but I guess like you guys are saying, it's just maybe because I knew that going in, it informed my viewing experience. But mm. I, I still love the character for sure. But yeah, Keith, who, who's your highlight? Oh, man. I don't know if I have a highlight as far as acting. Not that anybody was bad. I think well, that's okay. Yeah, I think they were all good. But I think I guess I'll just shout out the uh, the visual department. How could you not? It's the only reason to see this movie. 
Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it just looked so great, and we'll get into it more of how good it looked. But um, yeah, just all the swimming scenes, the any any scene that of them diving in and out of the water looked fantastic. Um, everything was just so crisp and clear. I mean, if I watch this again, it'll definitely be for that reason as well. Um, with the story kind of just being in the background. I completely agree with that, Keith. And I still do think this movie is too long. And there is a lot of scenes that are just kind of of the environment or just of characters being in the environment that don't really add to the story. And normally I would say that's the stuff that should have been cut. Uh, but in this movie, I was so fascinated by the way it looked and how cool Pandora looked and how it was just unlike anything I've seen before that I really enjoyed all of that. And I think a lot of that credit goes to the visual effects department. The only thing that should have been cut, I didn't, I didn't include Jermaine Clement and like his other Australian counterpart here, but the whale hunting like captains, I think that all could have been cut. I hated it. thought that was kind of terrible, to be honest. <laughs> I, I actually didn't mind that because we learned how important the whales were to the water yeah. society. I think what could have been cut is there's a in the final act, I guess we're just straight into the movie now. In the final Let's act, in the it. final fight scene, um, the fight's basically over with the general. And they're, all, they're backing away. I'm like, cool, we're wrapping up here. He's going to be back in the next movie. We're going to credits. They're literally walking away from the fight. And then Jake Sully's like, well, let's get it done then. And he runs back into the fight. And I'm like, nope, this is where the movie should have ended. And that's, there's like another 30-minute sequence. I completely hear you. But still, when Jake Sully was like, let's get it done, and they immediately go into a knife fight, I was like, that was pretty fucking badass. <laughs> so I, I guess like that one-on-one -on -one is fine. But then when they get sucked down uh -huh. into the ship and yep. there's all that sequence, like that didn't need to be there. 100%. And that's a good transition, uh, Austin, because that ties into my shout out. I got to say, guys, Stephen Lang, he knows how to play a villain. This guy fucking rocks. <laughs> I've always loved Stephen Lang. I always feel like he's somebody that hasn't gotten enough push just in movies in general. He's great in Don't Breathe. Uh, that might be something more recent that people would know him from as like a more of like a lead performance. But he's great in everything. Um, and he is so good in this movie. Uh, even when his character is acting so irrationally, it's like you question it's like the writing even. It's not even the motivation, just the writing. It's like. You forget about it because he is so good. So it's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so I got to give my shout out to him. Like whenever I rewatched the first movie, I was like, yeah, Stephen Lang's in this. I forgot about that. He's so good. And it's like, okay, his villain died at the end. You know, uh, I'm excited to see the new villain. It's kind of what my thought was. I, I didn't really have like a huge impression with him. But then when this movie starts and they immediately reintroduce him, I was like, that's weird as hell. But then once the movie goes on, I was like, I'm really glad they did. <laughs> and I can't wait because he survived this movie. I cannot wait to see how he plays into the sequels. See, that's that's the thing. I thought he was really good in this one. And I actually think him kind of just having to do voiceovers and mocap, like I think just hearing his voice really helped his performance because he has such a good voice. I am not at all excited to see this character for round three, four, and five. I think you got to find a new villain for this franchise. Well, we'll see. I mean, they have Spider trying to intimate some arc with Korich that maybe he'll uh, soften Spider's somehow. an idiot, dude. I, I don't know Spider. what this character is I thinking. I hate Spider. I loved him in the beginning, and then I just did not understand what he was doing by the time we got to the finale. Sup, bro? I'm a surfer dude. boy named Spider. We joked about how much they said brother in the terminal list. The amount of times all three of the male... Sully children said bro to each other. I was like, I liked it I, every I time. Didn't order popcorn, but <laughs> if I had, I would have been bashing my head into the popcorn bucket. <laughs> I loved it. I'm not even joking. I loved it. Every time they said it, I was like, yeah, they're a family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. They are family. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Either way, I, I can kind of see your point, Austin. It's like they could easily fall into like the um, uh, I guess just pitfall of Korich becoming the same thing over and over again. But all I can say is removing that, I love them in this movie. So that's all I'll say. I guess my point is what's left for him to do? Is he yeah. going to go after Jake Sully again? Yeah. Is he going to yeah. grow and change and become fall in love with Pandora? We've already seen Jake Sully do that. I don't, I don't know what else he could possibly have to do in this franchise that we haven't already seen him do. That's what I was going to say. My prediction is that he's not going to be a main villain anymore. I think he's just going to be kind of an independent and I think he's going to fall in love with the body he's in now. So yeah, I think he's, I can, I don't know if I see him joining forces with Sully 
in one of the movies one day, but maybe he'll just be kind of that independent guy from afar who kind of just yeah. doesn't take any sides. I foresee that because he killed his oldest son, so I don't think they can join forces, but I could see him being like a independent guy from far away, like you said. I could see that working out. There's no way Natiri would ever accept him after the way she was grieving. Well, so you know our thoughts on Avatar The Way of Water, but let's get into what everybody else thinks. So, Avatar The Way of Water, of course, received generally positive reviews and currently has a 79% over on Rotten Tomatoes. The site's critical consensus is, narratively, it might be fairly standard stuff, but visually speaking, Avatar The Way of Water is a stunningly immersive experience. Critics praise the visuals, world-building, facial animation, and the spectacle while some reviewers were a bit more mixed on the screenplay itself, the narrative, and characterization. I think I totally agree with the critics there. Um, and I guess I have a concern for the sequels is because this is now the second movie in the Avatar franchise where, yeah, great, spectacles there, story's kind of average. And he's, he's done writing uh, the sequels, and I think he's, he's pretty much done with Avatar 3, so he doesn't have a lot of time now to kind of adapt and maybe come up with a better story for the sequels. So I'm kind of worried for the future. We're just kind of in line for more spectacle and more average stories. If they can develop it in a way where we do start to like really feel for these characters a little bit more, the stakes are a little bit higher, then I, I think it, it could be a good thing. But if they're just going to rely solely on, on the visuals, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall flat sooner or later, whether it's in the next one or the fourth one. And the next one has like the most... Uh, issues potentially presenting it at the outset because, I mean, the first Avatar came out in 2009 and was groundbreaking. This one waited 13 years and was groundbreaking again. And the next one is coming out December 2024. So visually, I'm sure it will have a little bit of an upgrade, but they are going to have to rely more on the story and characters to like, uh, like pull some of that weight as opposed to these previous two. So it will be interesting how that works. Um, but yeah, we'll see. All right, well, with that, let's go ahead and dive a little bit deeper. Let's get into our roundtable discussion and break this all down. Uh, this is, of course, the main part of our show where each of us brings a couple points that we wanted to focus on uh, a little bit more time-wise. So, guys, who wants to start us off today? Yeah, so you guys have kind of hinted that you wish Jake Sully and Atari had been a little bit more involved in this story, whereas I was kind of on the opposite in the fact that I enjoyed the kids and how much screen time they got and getting to learn about them. So let's get into that a bit more. What didn't work for you guys with the kids being given this much screen time? I, the thing that jumps to mind immediately, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this, is I think Nateum is a little bit of a cop-out. So the Sullys have four children. They have Nateum, they have Loak, they have um, uh, Kiri, a.k.a. Kitty, in my brain the entire time, who is the uh, <laughs> adopted, like, weirdly immaculate conception child of Grace Augustine's avatar. That was and, not explained well at and all. And then they joke about how, oh, I think Norm and her had sex at some point, but then I was like, well, does that mean they had sex while they were in avatar form? Anyway, very confusing. <laughs> but then it's um, also implied she might just be a conception of like the planet and right, her and mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, and then they have Took. Great. So they have four kids. Uh, but then as the movie went on, it became so clear that Kiri and Loak, the younger brother, are our two main kids, right? And I thought they were handled so damn well. I loved all that. And then Toot kind of gets a pass to be like the cute youngest kid that really has no like major role in the story. It's just kind of present. It's in danger at some points and just has kind of like a happy disposition about things. The problem for me, like I just said, is Nateum is a cop out. He's the oldest son. He's the one that is most like Jake Sully. And, the, and they introduce him in that sense so that they can contrast him directly to Loak, who feels inferior to his older brother. Uh, but Nateum has the least amount of screen time. And then he's the one they kill at the end. And frankly, I didn't really care. Um, I thought the performances at the end were very good in those scenes. Like whenever that those death like whenever that death was happening and the reactions to that death like was happening, I thought it was powerful and it was done well. And I thought his funeral was very beautifully presented. But I did not care about that character or his death because it was at least amount of screen time. And his, his whole role was just, he's like Jake a lot. And that's why Jake Sully loves him, I guess, because they're similar. And 
I thought that was kind of lame. So that was like my biggest disappointment in regards to the children's story. I think the reason why I may have cared more is I totally agree with you that killing off Nateum is the easiest one to do. I guess why I felt like it it hit more for me is because we've learned throughout this film how much Nateum as the firstborn kind of means to Jake and Nateri. Um, And then also we've seen his relationship with the other kids in the last conversation he had with Loak was Loak saying that the whale was his brother and that Nateum wasn't. And so just kind of having all that context as he died and and knowing that that was kind of the last interaction they've all had. Um, And also specifically with Loak, he kind of is always the fuck up in the family and he's always getting Nateum dragged into stuff. And if Nateum or if Loak had just listened to Jake, maybe Nateum would still be alive. Like I think his death does have an impact on this overall family. Yeah. I do agree it was a cop-out, but I thought the impact it had was pretty important to the story. Yeah, I, I think they could have done maybe a little bit, if we want to talk about runtime, they could have devoted some runtime to developing their background a little bit more, like his and Nateam's, um father-son bonding. That would have know. been great, yeah. Do you think we should have seen, since he's the firstborn, should we have had more scenes where it's just Jake, Nateam, and Nateri? Like kind of seeing his upbringing. I mean, maybe like one or two. Yeah, just they wouldn't have to be like super long, but maybe like a few minutes of of Nateum being born, which we did see, but it was very quick. Having some scene as a with a young Nateum, like a eight or nine year old Nateum running through the woods with his dad hunting and all that kind of stuff, and then maybe just had him in general had more screen time with him and his brothers in the water, uh, with the uh, with the other water Navi kind of people. We just didn't get enough of him there. He was just kind of absent for most of it. And then he comes back in just to kind of give his brother some advice. That's kind of all you get from him. And then, yeah, when he dies, it's like, ah, well, it's sad because you see Natiri crying. But um, I'm kind of with you, Matt. It's like, uh, you just don't feel for it as much as you probably should have. I would have gotten really emotional if it was Loak or Kiri dying. I'm not saying that they should have died instead. I'm just saying with the way they... Uh, presented the movie and like the children as our main characters they did a great job with them so if they had kind of like pulled the rug out from under us and had the consequence be one of them that would have really hit me hard i just unfortunately didn't really care too much about nateum so whenever he was the one i was like i kind of felt like oh that's kind of predictable it doesn't mean it's badly presented or anything it's just i i didn't care too much i guess i think it's a bit of a trade-off too because for the final act of this movie to work, I think you have to really buy the relationship with the whales and Loak is yeah. our tunnel into that uh, that relationship because we spend so much time with him and the whales. So I think it's either you take away time from the building of Loak and the whales relationship and you give it back to the Tayum and see how he impacts yeah. the family. Personally, I, I think it was smart to give a lot of the time to the whales because I did actually care about them a lot by the time the movie ended. So Me too. I thought that time was used fairly effectively. I hear you. It's tough. Even though it's a long movie, it's like maybe we could have gotten like one or two extra Nintayum scenes, but what does that take away from? I don't know the answer to that. And ultimately, I do agree with you. I think the stuff with the whales was honestly awesome and kind of beautiful in a lot of scenes. It just felt, I don't know, just the way they shot it and uh, like the way the dialogue kind of worked in those scenes, like whether there was um, subtitles or not. Either way, it just felt kind of powerful. I, I like the Loak and um, the outcast uh, whale. I like that relationship quite a lot. Did you guys find that they were almost like too human-like in a way? Like they weren't enough Navi in them? Like we talked about like all the, all the bro talk and all that kind of stuff. It's like they were speaking too much English in a way and not enough Navi. You think we'd be more like bilingual kids? It was a really interesting intro because they do away with the Navi language because Jake says it took me a while to learn it and then it became like English to me and that's when they cut away from the subtitles and they're all just speaking English. But did you read that Austin that they were doing like the Hunt for Red October thing where it's like as he was like we did away with English and then like it cuts to them talking and then like the camera flips and now they're speaking English. Like my interpretation is like the entire movie they're speaking Navi. Yeah that's how I took it too. Okay. And I, was, I actually thought that was really smart because we didn't have to have the whole movie in subtitles. In subtitles, um, right. That's, that's what I like, mean. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. really effective. And also, they call them half-breeds a lot, um, meaning because they're the sons of, of a human and a, a Navi. So that probably plays into some of their humanity uh, characteristics. I think also they're around humans a lot more because they have the science crew that's still there. They have Spider yeah. and they have Jake. So I think a lot of the human characteristics are going to influence the kids a lot just because of the kind of adopted family and the extended family they have on the planet. 
Well, that goes into another question of mine about, you said it, Austin, the, the half-breed thing. Jake is in a Avatar Navi body, and then he has kids with Natiri, who is a native uh, Pandorian, whatever you call him. So how did that work? That was confusing because they were, they were counting the, the fingers or something like that. Like, oh, he's got four or five fingers. It's like, so is the Avatar bodies, even though they're Navi, different from a native Navi body? Yeah, from what I recall when watching the first one a few days ago, um, Jake Sully is an avatar, whereas Natiri is Navi, right? Uh, so Jake Sully is in the blue avatar body, and those avatar bodies were grown on Earth. But then I think in the movie they say that it takes like six years to travel from Earth to Pandora, and that's how they grow to full size. So to that point, it's like these bodies they're growing are not the exact same. They're not natural Navi births or anything like that. So I think that's why whenever Jake Sully then like transfers into the body, it's like a slightly different, uh, more humanoid looking um, body. And then whenever he has kids, I guess, like you said, Keith, he somehow passes that element on to his children, at least in like the, the finger department, which is. Seems odd, but I guess, you know, that's how it works or whatever. How many fingers did the Navis have? I think four. Three. Th- or three. Yeah, three or four, and then Jake Sully has five. So that's okay. what makes him crazy. Because <laughs> I, th- I think the Navi, I think the Navis have three, and then his kids have four. Yeah, something like something like that, yeah. A lot of fingers you got to count in this franchise. Yeah. Really got to keep track Very of Very confusing fingers. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> Keith, how dare you? Oh, shit, my bad. My bad, bro. <laughs> it's okay, bro. <laughs> I mean, speaking of bro, I'm just going to bring it up now because we were talking about kids earlier. We got to talk about the kid that this movie keeps forgetting about the entire time, which is Spider, (laughs) who, man, I was excited about this character at the beginning. I thought this was a fun idea. So was I. The child of Miles Korich that was born that that we did not know about because Keith leaned over to me to ask me, well, do we know this kid (laughs) in the first movie? And I was like, no, we did not. Um, so he was born and he was basically an infant and whenever the humans were defeated and pushed back to earth, but because he was an infant, he could not go into cryo. So they just left him there with the scientists. And then he grows up alongside, uh, the other avatar children or the Navi children, I guess I should say, uh, and be, and he becomes essentially the fifth Sully child. Um, and the movie tells us that's what he is. But then they also tell us that he's not. They just tell us at the beginning, like, nonchalantly that Terry hates him so that they can, at the end, have her almost kill him. And then the worst part of the movie that Keith and I were laughing out loud about in the theater is the fact that um, Spider is, like, enjoying his internment, essentially, is one of, like, the craziest decisions I've seen in movies this year. He's just having a blast with his with his dad and being imprisoned. And it's like, I'll help you guys and I'll tell you everything I know about the Navi. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, so they clearly introduced this character so that he could save Korch at the end and that he could renounce Korch at the end. But it's like, you had to save him so you could immediately turn him down in that sense. That was fucking stupid. So what a fucking downer of a character that had a good start. He had a great start. I was super excited to see this character. I thought it was headed to where at the end that Terry was going to accept him because of his actions throughout the film. I was excited for that arc. Uh, Not where it went. Um, It was also weird how much he bonded with his dad because in the beginning he states you don't always want to know who your parents are, meaning he should hate his father and he knows what his father did in the events of the first movie. And they just never show you why he grows attached to his dad. It's pretty clear that the Sullys have treated him pretty well. He really has no reason to betray them. We never see Natari be mean to him or anything. It just seems like she thinks he should be with humans more so than with their kids. So they don't do a good job of explaining to you why he would so willingly attach on to these soldiers who for the whole movie, he's seeing them do terrible things to this planet and he's getting upset about it, but he's not really acting or trying to do anything to stop what they're doing. He's upset about it, but then... But he's not upset enough about it. It's like every yeah. time he would, yep. would cut to his face, <laughs> it was just kind of like... Like, all curious, like, huh, like, what are huh. they doing now? Like, are they about to shoot a whale? Like, what, he's not, like, protesting it at all. And it feels like the movie doesn't care about him either because there's an incredibly powerful moment where Korich is going to kill Kiri, I think it is, or Tuke, whichever one it is, um, 
and Jake Sully's in a position where he can't really do anything about it. And then Natiri shows up and like the resolution to that scene is her to take uh, her, you know, supposed adopted child spider into like a headlock situation and like cut him, like hurt him, potentially kill him. And it's like, wow, this is a really crazy scene. And the fact that there is ultimately no payoff to that is one of the more baffling things about the movie. Um, Spider and Atiri never have a follow-up scene in this movie. Obviously, I'm sure they will in the sequel. They don't speak to each other in this movie at all. Right. And they, they, the movie just tells us that Atiri doesn't like Spider because he's human. Um, and then she pulls something like that at the end. And then there's no moment at the end where he forgives her or she apologizes or they just have like they have it out or anything. They just there's nothing uh, which was very disappointing. Like the credits just roll. And I'm like, OK, I, I think I'm, I think they're setting up that spider will rebel against her at some point. But I also don't care about their relationship because they have no relationship. They just tell us that they do for 10 years. They say Nat- Jake Sully has narration like Natiri never bought into it. You know, he. She thinks he should be with his own kind. But it's like this movie takes place 13 years later. So she never bought into this kid that is always here. Like, that's comical. <laughs> <laughs> and like clearly has a tight bond with her kids. Like, yes, the whole family likes him. We also never really see Jake and Spider interact nope. or Not Jake and Terry address the fact that she just tried to murder a child. Like it just is like, yeah, Spider's here. And everyone's like, huh? Who's Spider? Like, it just seems like no one knows who this character is. Um. So this movie does have the subtitle of The Way of the Water, and a lot of the incredible visuals come from all the stuff with the Water Tribe and seeing them kind of leave the jungle and and get into their life as sea creatures now. I know we spent a lot of time talking about how great this movie looks and how it's it's kind of one of a kind and from what we've seen in movies today. So I'm assuming we all agree that the visuals do live up to the hype for the sequel, but do you think this movie is more spectacle than substance, or do you think there is more substance here than the first movie? Um, Overall, how are you guys feeling? Dude, I I can't understate how incredible the water looks in this movie. And you forget it's CGI. I know. It's insane. I mean, any effect they do with the water, whether it be just uh, like characters like diving in and out of the water or characters just simply like, like, you know, being like, like treading water and like putting their head into it is like how this looks like the most like realistic thing i've ever seen i'm looking at like a, like a blue like uh, alien figure <laughs> so i don't know how they did that it, it's beautiful even seeing light refract through the water onto the sand looks amazing yeah so all that stuff is incredible i mean the visuals are stunning i guess i mean you asked the question is it style over substance essentially and i i guess so i mean in terms of spectacle this movie is the definition of that which is why we all recommended you should go see it in theaters but I just don't know if like the average movie goer will latch on to the story or will latch on to most of these characters. Um, whereas the first one, having just rewatched it, I have to say it's a very simple story. And for 13 years, that is what everybody has said about the first Avatar movie. And like I've said today, it's just a very fucking good way to tell that simple story. Like the first Avatar, they do it really well. I mean, I really like Jake Sully in the movie. I really like Natiri. Um, and then like the rest of the characters just feel like they're on the side. Um, whereas this movie has the weird element of like, I feel like I'm supposed to really follow and like Jake Sully and Natiri again, but now they have five children and now they have uh, Korich who feels like a bigger deal. And now they have the humans that feel like a bigger, a bigger deal. And now they have the water tribe who also have a bunch of kids that feel like a big deal. So there's just a lot to kind of track in this movie. So uh, it's more ambitious and different than the first one, which I appreciate. But the first one, I think, just simply tells its story better is where I come down on it. I would actually say I even though I found the story very predictable in this one, I was more engaged with the story because I cared about the kids so much. I wanted to right. see how they were going to get out of this situation. I, I was excited to see the Water Tribe, too, and learn something new about Pandora. I do think the water tribe is largely forgotten in the third act. Like they're supposed to be at the battle, but we never see them. Very weird. We don't get enough time with those new characters either to care about them. So they're kind of just used to to show us the world really. And then it's all kind of focused on the Sully children, which is fine. They're the main characters. So I have a lot of issues with this story overall, 
but because it was at least different from the first one, I, I think I, I think I would say that this story is better than the first movie's story. I think one of the one of the main things that I really enjoyed about the story, and I think you mentioned in Austin, was the water tribe. I mean, it's kind of cool that they're not jumping back and forth from this planet to Earth. Like they're not trying to build some like intergalactic uh, yeah. world, you know, keeping it really local. And then we find out that their this planet actually has different, like I guess you could say, like races or or ethnicities tribes. of just with yeah tribes within within the Navi. Like you have these people that are built for the water. They have. They have uh, fins on their forearms and on their tails, whereas the forest people have, you know, they're a little bit leaner and, and smaller limbs so they can swing from tree to tree. To tree. Um, so I thought that was really cool. So it kind of makes you more excited for the next movies. Like, what other kind of tribes are going to do? They're going to have some sort of like lava tribe where people are living like in a volcano somewhere. Or... Oh, I'm sure they're going to do fire, earth, winter. Yeah, they'll probably do some winter mountain tribe. That'd be kind of cool. I'm calling it out. There's going to be some really cute penguin animal that we all care about a lot. Porgs? Did you guys think it was weird that they just kind of abandoned the forest people though? Because they yep. do state that now instead of mining the resources, they're there to colonize Pandora now as a second home. So the forest people are still in danger. Jake Sully's logic didn't really make sense to me there. That was the literally the first thing Keith and I talked about as we walked out of the movie theater. It's like, okay, so Spider gets taken, and Jake Sully's reaction to that is, Spider knows where we live, so they could torture him and find out where we are. And my whole thing is like, okay, the main plot of this movie is you are taking your entire family, you're renouncing your title as leader to go to a different tribe, to go into hiding. But they're going to find you, right? They're probably going to find you there and kill all of them. So it's like now you've endangered the sea tribe and the forest tribe because Korich knows where the forest tribe is. <laughs> so if you would stay with the forest, at least you would have people that like love and care about you and will fight for you. It's a shitty situation to put them in. Did Jake really feel like they were not going to be found? Because if he thought that, then I guess he was in the right. But the fact that he thought that Korich and team are not going to find the people in the forest who have already seen them in the past was questionable as a hero because they probably all got killed. <laughs> and I would almost argue even if he thought they weren't going to be found, he's still in the wrong because it's not just the general that's there. There's a whole army and they're fighting war against the Avatar creatures. So they're still going to continue to attack the forest people. Just like just because Jake is gone, that just means the general's not looking for him there. The army's still there. They're still trying stupid. to encroach and colonize. So all he's doing is instead of putting the forest people in danger, he's just putting the sea people in danger. That like the same amount of people are still in danger in this film. And that was something they could have done too, I guess. They didn't have to have them. It was cool that we were introduced to the water tribe and then we got all the cool visual scenes with the whales and all that. But they didn't have to stay there the entire time. Keith, it's called the way of the water. The way of the water, Keith. But they could have come James back. Cameron spent months in a submarine trying to understand water pressure Keith, for this movie. It's the way uh, of water. I guess. But they could have gone back to the forest and maybe they brought the water tribe with them to fight, help fight. That would have been kind of cool. Another great point. Shocking that that didn't happen either. Another thing I thought was weird, right when they get to the uh, the tribe, the water tribe, he's talking to the chief and the chief's wife, and he kind of explains the situation, and they're kind of like, uh, "I don't know about this." They're like, okay, you can stay. We'll, you know, we'll we'll have shelter for you and your family. And then as soon as Corrid uh, shows up, it starts starts shooting everybody and all that. And Jake is flying with uh, the chief and his wife. The wife, the, the chief's wife's like. You brought them to us. It was you. You brought them here. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, you I, knew yeah, that. Yeah, she's right. <laughs> <laughs> you knew th but she knew that, though, right? Like, why is she acting surprised? Kate Winslow's character is a very weird character okay, in this I, film, well, too. She's right, so Austin, underused. You, you triggered me, because that was going to be my award today, because I, I honestly thought we might go through this entire episode without bringing up the fact that Kate fucking Winslet played Ronal. Uh, I don't even know if that's the pronunciation. The the matriarch of the water tribe. I hope she got paid $20 million. Because if not, what a fucking waste, dude. Kate Winslet is in this movie, everybody. <laughs> She's going to be and back. And she plays a, a character that like swims and is just angry for like four scenes and that's it. And it doesn't, even, it doesn't even look like Kate Winslet. 
No. <laughs> like, I was shocked. <laughs> I wonder if this is going to be a Jared Leto Joker situation where she's like, we filmed enough enough scenes for a Kate Winslet solo Avatar movie and they're just not in the movie. Like, I wonder how much she actually filmed. We'll see. We'll see. I don't, I mean, I don't want that movie. <laughs> James Cameron has filmed 90% of Avatar 3, so maybe she'll come back. Who knows? Nine hour cut, baby. We'll see it. <laughs> Are that, is that what they're going to do? Like the Cameron cut? Release the Cameron no. cut or something like that? <laughs> no. James Cameron doesn't even know what Twitter is. He doesn't have a fan base. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He doesn't. All right. So I, I know we've talked a little about the characters, but I know we're close to closing out here. I just want to ask, because I know how I feel about it, and I guess I don't fully know how you guys feel. I know Jake, Sully, and Teary. I'm laughing as I say it, because it's weird to think about them as classic characters. They're not. It's just... They are like the linchpin characters of the most like highest grossing movie of all time. So it's interesting to watch the sequel where they take a back seat. I don't have a problem with them taking a back seat. I'm just curious. Did you guys like how they were used in this movie as um, parents, essentially? Did you like how they came in every now and then? Jake Sully is certainly kind of like uh, adhering to his marine roots. It seems like he's treating his family as like a drill sergeant, essentially. And Atiri, I guess to tip my hand a little bit, I didn't love how Zoe Saldana's role as Interior kind of became, she's just crying in every scene. They kind of pushed her to do that. And then she gets some badass shit towards the end, which I loved, but um, it felt a little bit too, a little too late for me. Anyway, I wanted to know, what did you guys think of like these two big characters who are our main characters in the first one and uh, sitting back a little bit in this one? Did you guys like them? I don't know if I have a, a drastic take on Sam Worthington as Jake Sully, just because I've I've never, I was never attached to him in the first one, so I w- didn't come into this movie being like, wow, I really hope Jake Sully's in this one. Um, I will say I thought Natiri was pretty wasted in this movie, especially for being Zoe Saldana. She has no agency in the story. Like, it, it honestly doesn't feel like she agrees with anything Jake Sully is doing in this movie. She's just kind of getting 100%. dragged along. Yep. Um, so I would have liked, because she's a natural, like, son of the clan from the first movie, like, she is the natural leader of the Nateri people, but for some reason it's Jake in this movie, which also doesn't make a lot of sense. Like she born and raised on this planet. It should be her making these decisions. I feel like. Yeah. I th- kind of thought that was weird too, that Jake was the leader. Yeah. I guess just to interrupt, I don't want to interrupt you, Keith, but just as since I watched the first movie, I'm not, it, it doesn't make too much sense there. I know either. he flew it's that just, big pterodactyl or whatever. Right. But. That that's literally the reason he flies the big, like, uh, evil mean <laughs> like a dragon type creature that people are supposedly i think the says my great great grandfather was the last one to fly that and then jake sully like ends up flying it, and that's how he becomes the leader my point is it was stupid in the first one <laughs> and i and i think when they when they do get to the water tribe you know how the chief is saying like well you know y'all aren't going to be useless while you're here you're not going to be sitting around you're going to learn you're going to learn our ways and all that and you get the kids learning we don't ever really get any of Jake and Natiri nope. scenes with the <laughs> chief and the chief's wife. He rides a sea wife. dragon, Keith. He wise the warrior animal, just like he did in the first movie. You didn't get any of the trials and errors of him no. swimming and all that kind of stuff. It's because he's good at everything, Keith. He's Jake Sully. He's Jake Sully. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm with you, Keith. He like falls off once, and that's his big like, oh shit. Is Jake Sully okay? <laughs> I was a Navy SEAL, so like I know to swim. Yeah, forgive me. <laughs> It's just a, it's it's just weird, man. Watching Jake Sully in the first movie and then in this one where he's talking to his kids like a drill sergeant, it's like, he was not like that in the first movie. I guess I'll play devil's advocate there because in the intro they say they were happy for a while and you forget how quickly happiness can be taken away from yeah, you. It's kind yeah. of implied that they've been in this war for at least a year now, I think. Yeah. So maybe over the course of that time, he's just kind of fallen back to being a soldier and he just, this is how he has to treat his kids to get to survive this conflict. True. Well, guys, before we close out here, obviously, we've already talked about it a little bit, but James Cameron has said three more sequels are on the way, concluding with Avatar 5, um, and they're supposedly going to come out every uh, other year. So in December as well, they're going to keep that December release date. So did this movie get you guys excited for Avatar 3 coming out in 2024 and uh, 4 and 5 every other year beyond that? I think I can say it did. Um, I was dreading this one uh, after seeing it and being pleasantly surprised. I am interested to spend more time in this world. I'll say that. I am curious if this is going to get the Avatar 1 treatment where it comes out, is visually stunning, and then kind of 
becomes a meme later on. Like, I wonder if, if this will have that same trajectory. Um, I don't know if I want three more of these. I, I'm not that excited about this franchise, but I don't know. I'll, I'll stick around for the third one. We'll see if Corridge comes back and does the same shit as he did in the first two movies. Yeah, I'm kind of with you, Austin. I don't know if I need three more, but maybe one or two more would be kind of cool. I definitely don't need three more three-hour movies. I can say that. I don't yes. need nine more hours in this world. That's not changing. I guarantee you that. <laughs> But yeah, looking forward to see what they do with this with this planet. And like I said, it'd be cool to see like other tribes, like like I said, in mountains or any other kind of element uh, that we haven't seen yet before. It was weird at the end how they said we're water people now, almost implying that this is like they have no plans to go back to the forest. Yeah, that was the idea. I don't know. If, I don't know if they fully earned that, but I actually was thinking while watching this, I kind of wish they had turned this into a show. I, I think having if they want a lot of time in this world. Like a ten episode show, I think would justify all of the like stuff that feels like it could have been cut from this movie. I do love James Cameron, man. I think he had a quote where he was like, "People keep like complaining to me, like, why are my movies three plus hours long?" And he said something like, "My kids just watch season four of Stranger Things in one sitting, so they can watch nine hours of TV. My movie's gonna be three hours. Like, fuck off." <laughs> <laughs> so dude i love james cameron <laughs> he, he's just like i'll do whatever i want and we still sat through it we saw it and i don't think he's gonna change anything <laughs> for the next <laughs> ones so we'll see um i don't know i'm excited to see where they go in pandora because obviously the forest and the sea were kind of drastic changes so seeing anything else would be super cool but I don't know. I mean, there, there's room here with like the human and Navi conflict that I think they could build out and make something super compelling over the course of several films. So I don't know where they go. I mean, Korich obviously developed this relationship with his son, Spider, by the end, and then Spider renounces him. So does that become like a big sticking point going forward? I'm not entirely sure, but either way, there was like some nice seeds in there that I'm curious to see how they pay off in the future. Um, I guess guess that's what I got. Like, I'm very interested to see where this goes. Because like I said at the beginning, it's also interesting that like the first one comes out in 2009. This one is 2022. The next three are going to be every other year. So that is a very different dynamic because the visuals are not going to change that much every other year. So is Cameron and the writing team doing something kind of drastic with the story to kind of mix it up? I I hope so, but I don't know. He did say they had to divide because this has all already been written. So he he did say they had to divide these scripts among four different writing teams. So it will be a new team for for each of the the sequels because they couldn't have each team move on to the next movie, which I thought was interesting too. I yeah. I do have two questions. I'm wondering, since they are trying to colonize Pandora now, do you think in, in some of the later sequels we'll ever see like a fully established human city like at their bridgehead and maybe some more like civilians move to Pandora and are interacting with the Navi? And then also Pandora is just a moon uh, of a larger planet. Do you think we ever see them move to that larger planet um, like the Navi people? I don't think so. I think we know Vin Diesel's coming. He's going to be the president of Pandora. <laughs> <laughs> How does Vin Diesel keep getting work? I don't understand it. The man cannot act. He has no talent. Well, hold on, Austin. I'll I'll uh, uh, pair Vin Diesel with Michelle Yeoh. Everything, every role at once. Also in Avatar three. So we got maybe the worst actor and then the best actor coming into play. <laughs> <laughs> I could do a better job than Vin Diesel. You I know I'm not a good actor, could. but I could do oh, a better yeah. job than Vin Diesel. If Vin Diesel's the bar, I can clear it. You could. Can you just imagine his voice like as a like in as a Navi? Like, well, dude, that's the fucking shocking part. He's playing a human from what I've read. Oh, really? He's not even playing a fucking Navi. What a missed opportunity. I read that um uh James Cameron offered Edward Norton a role in this movie. And Edward Your favorite Norton. Hulk. Was, hell yeah brother and Edward Norton was like I'll do it and then James Cameron was like well it's a human character not a Na'vi and Edward Norton's like I'm not doing it I I only want to play a Na'vi (laughs) and then Vin Vin Diesel was like I I need a paycheck I'll I'll take it I I need money (laughs) 
All right. Well, that's the perfect time to close out. Uh, so before we officially read our rigmarole here, let's do our Arnie's Podcast Awards. This is, of course, the final part of our show. Where we just kind of run through everything. We can think about positive things or negative things or anything in between. We just want to single out something from the project we're talking about that deserves specific praise. So, Austin or Keith, what are you guys thinking? What deserves an award today? Yeah, I'm going to be bringing back an award uh, from our review of the Santa Claus's TV show. And I will be giving the award to my dear friend uh, and co-host, uh, Matt Johnson. I will be Whoa! giving him the Happiest Boy Award, uh, watching Avatar 1 again for the fifth time now and discovering, hey, this movie, and I think I'm direct quoting here, this movie fucking rocks. I did like that. Yeah. The Happiest Boy Award goes to Matt Johnson. That's me. Nice. <laughs> Congratulations, Matt. Speaking of the Santa Claus, as I told Keith that I watched the finale, it, it's a hundred percent. Wow, it, it's the worst show of the year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna give the deadliest catch award to One Arm Man. I don't remember his name. I'm just gonna call him One Arm Man. Um, that's a deadly job he has. They're trying to collect a eighty million dollar. Um, liquid from a whale that supposedly stops human aging. That they kind of dropped that on us too, and didn't go any that further was weird. with it. <laughs> That's, that was hard to. That scene was hard to watch. The whale poaching. It was. Yeah. You guys all have really good ones. Mine is super easy. I don't know what it is, guys, but I just really, uh, no joke. The character that I like connected to the most in this movie was Pyakon, who is, of course, the whale outcast. Every time this character popped up on the screen, whether they be just hanging out with Loak, whether they be protecting Loak by throwing their body on top of that chip at the end, I was like, I love you, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I love this character. So I I have to give them the best friend award because every scene that they share together was a highlight for me. I'm glad he survived. We'll see him in the sequels, I hope. Uh, Of course, my secondary award uh, that we almost got robbed of is uh how do we not talk about kate winslet award because she's in this movie and like i said i hope she got paid a lot because uh nobody would think that she was in this what a waste Oh, all right. Well, fuck it. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening out there. If you enjoy this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing with a friend, we would appreciate that to continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back next Tuesday for the last episode of 2022. Crazy to think about. We're going to be running down all of the crazy fucking DC news we keep hearing on Twitter the last several weeks. That'll be interesting. Uh, Maybe some other fun stuff in there as well. It's been trending. And then the week after, actually, our first of 2023 will be our third annual Academy Awards. It's going to be our award show covering all of 2022's media. So that'll be fun. Guys, are you excited for these next two episodes? It's going to be a fun one. That DC episode is going to be a ton of fun. I now have to start my morning every day by checking James Gunn's Twitter to see what crazy shit he's been putting out there. When it comes to DC, you guys know I don't know much, but I'm going to be on this episode since it is the last episode of the year. You give me the news and I'll react to it because, yeah, I have no idea what's in store for DC. Awesome. What do you think would be like a nice little tease, like a little morsel to give to Keith? to kind of excite him for like how weird some of this shit has been. <laughs> yeah, this is a actually a new development I saw right before we started recording, but uh, Dwayne Johnson has apparently been accused of fraud for misleading <laughs> the financials of Black wait, Adam. So that's going to be fun what? to talk about. For doing what? He, mis- he was apparently misleading on how much money Black Adam made because he didn't want to admit it was a flop. So now he's being accused of fraud. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can't wait to talk about that. Keith, you're not, I'm like, honestly, it's like a weird topic for a last episode of the year, but us throwing some of this stuff at you genuinely is going to be, I think it's going to be pretty fun, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And also, if you need any other podcast recommendations from us, uh, last week we put out our third annual best holiday movie bracket. If Avatar 2 didn't make you excited for Santa Claus, I know our episode will. Uh, So be sure to go check that episode out and find out what won the best holiday movie of 2022. 
And lastly, we want to hear from you. So please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us the Arnie's media at gmail.com. What did you think of Avatar The Way of the Water? Are you excited for the next three of these? Do you think Spider is kind of stinky? Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a great week. Again, have a happy holiday with yourself, your close ones, and all the people that you love. We'll be back next time to talk about DC. Again, it's a weird one, but there is so much crazy shit. It's going to be a fucking exciting end of year episode, and I cannot wait for the Arn Academy Awards to come right after. We have some awards uh, kind of percolating. It's going to be a fun one. It's been a crazy year. So, everybody, we'll see you next time. It's going to be a fun couple weeks. Talk to you soon. See ya. Sully, stick together. Yeah.